The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Today we're talking about 12-step recovery and about the science behind it. My guest is Dr. Joseph Nowinski, Ph.D. and clinical psychologist, who has taught at the University of California, San Francisco, and the University of Connecticut, and has served as supervising psychologist at the University of Connecticut Health Center. He's the author of 12-Step Facilitation Therapy, which is listed in the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's National Registry, National Registry of Evidence-Based Programs and Practices. And his other book, Almost Alcoholic, Is My or My Loved One's Drinking a Problem? His new book is If You Work It, It Works, The Science Behind 12-Step Recovery. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Winsky. Hi, Joe. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, good. All right. You know, one of the things you write about in your book is you have hard evidence that 12 steps really work. So explain that. Correct. Well, not just me. I mean, the book isn't just about... Uh, that I have the hard evidence. The book is about the hard evidence, um, which has accumulated really over at least the last 20 years, uh, beginning in, to make a long story short, in 1989, where the Institute of Medicine, uh, influential agency, issued a white paper saying that, you know, uh, AA and other 12-step fellowships were ubiquitous uh, in this country and internationally, uh, but there wasn't a lot of research about them. There wasn't really a lot of good research to, to show did they work or not. So basically there was a lot of opinions out there about whether it worked or not. Uh, and so that was the impetus actually for a, a good uh, 20 years or more of uh, solid research that was uh, funded uh, research conducted at major research universities. I personally was involved in some of that. Uh, but there are many other people at other universities who've been doing it. So the purpose of the book was really um, one of the issues with that research, though, is is that it tends to be, be buried in professional journals, if you know what I mean. It's published in prof- professional peer-reviewed journals, and the general public really doesn't have access to it or understand it. And, in fact, a lot of professionals uh, don't have access to it. So there are a lot of people out there who really were not aware uh, of the evidence that, that, you know, investigating the 12-step uh, model. So that's what the book is about. It's, I organize that research, and I try to explain it in plain language uh, that, you know, frankly, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand uh, what it means. And uh, hopefully it would be useful to uh, someone who is thinking about uh, AA or NA, um, 
It could also be useful to people uh, who are NAA or NA, especially people uh, who might be sponsors uh, or considering being sponsors. And it might also be useful to professionals who are recommending um, 12-step programs to understand, you know, what's the science behind it. Well, we know that the effects of people who are successful, they stop drinking, they stop taking drugs, they stop doing the behavior. But you're saying it goes beyond that part. I mean, that's successful in terms of stopping the behavior, that behavior. But is that the true measure of success is my question. Well, the researchers tend to look at, yeah, they, they do look at abstinence. Um, you know, and again, we're talking about people who have a, you know, fairly severe, not necessarily a, a mild problem with drinking, maybe some, somebody who drinks a little bit more than recommended, uh, maybe is having some mild consequences. We're talking about people who um, are having severe, fairly severe consequences uh, and who are drinking, you know, well beyond what's the, what's the you know, recommended limits. Um, so measures that they use are things like abstinence, not, not drinking or using, uh, what they call percent days abstinent because researchers recognize just like AA does that it's progress, that you know, nobody's perfect. So they measure how many uh, days uh, someone has been abstinent uh, in the last 30 days or 90 days or one year. Uh, if they do drink, uh, how many drinks they do have. So they're looking at things like abstinence, Reductions in drinking, uh, also uh, the severity of drinking. If you if you did drink, did you have just one drink or did you have ten? So those are some of the measures that researchers have used to to take a look at the effect of the effectiveness of twelve step programs, also as compared to other treatments. Let's talk about that. Let's talk sure. about twelve steps as compared to other treatments. Yeah. Well, one study, well, there are many studies that have compared 12-step to other things like what's called cognitive behavioral therapy or motivational enhancement therapy. Um, there are also people who are advocates of what you call psychodynamic therapy. Uh, there really aren't any really good studies supporting that view. Uh, but certainly one major study that I was involved in compared a 12-step model that I developed, 12-step therapy, to something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is designed to teach people skills like how to say no to a drink or how to identify risky situations. And then another uh, um, approach that emphasized motivating people to do something. And uh, what they found after th- over three years um, was that all three treatments uh, were effective. All three treatments resulted in less drinking, uh, more days abstinence, uh, and uh, fewer drinks when they did drink. But of all three treatments, the 12-step approach had about a 10% advantage over the other ones, and that lasted over uh, three years. Also, mm-hmm. those people who went into the 12-step uh, approach, and these are people who were randomly assigned, they didn't, they didn't pick the treatment themselves, uh, were twice as likely to stay completely abstinent in the first year. So there's evidence right there, and, and it counters, you know, a lot of the stuff you might read on the Internet or those who are skeptics and critics saying, oh, it doesn't work, it's harmful. Uh, there was one uh, long-term study that showed that, yes, it did work. Uh, and, in fact, it was about 10% more effective than other ones that also worked. And the people who were in that uh, treatment were twice as likely to stay abstinent. So if you talk about it not working, I mean, there's one long-term study, good study, that shows, yes, it does, and there are others. 
Yeah. You know, I do want to ask you this, Joe, because this, I've thought about this a lot. And if somebody has been sober for, let's say, over over 20 years, maybe 15 or 20 years, and they're still walking into a meeting and they're saying, hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic. Somehow that doesn't sit right with me because they're not actively drinking anymore. They're not an active alcoholic. Right. But they're doing that. Well, first of all, I don't think that people just walk into a room and say, hi, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic, or John, I'm an alcoholic. I think that they might say that uh, to people they know, to friends, uh, for example. Um, But what the purpose of that really is so that it's helpful to those people because they don't want to, to forget that. They don't want to. Um, uh, uh, they, they don't want to go back to drinking. You know, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like saying, "Hi, I'm Joe. I'm a diabetic," or "Hi, Joe. I'm I'm uh, I'm Joe. I'm an epileptic." Um, yeah. It's kind of like you know being able to be honest about a medical condition, a chronic medical condition you have. And let me just say this: one study that I talk about in the book followed people for 16 years, okay, mm. and for 16 whole years. And I found that over 16 years, the people who started out, by the way, with treatment and going to AA had the best long-term outcome. But at any time over those 16 years, if people stopped going to AA, they were more likely to start drinking again at any point over 16 years. So it's kind of like if you think about it, it doesn't mean that they had to go to seven meetings a week or anything like that. However, it does speak to the importance of kind of keeping that in mind, that you do have this chronic condition, that mm. you need to keep an eye on it, and that um, although you don't necessarily want to go, you know, advertising to everyone you meet on the street, that is something that you might want to keep in mind. Yeah. And do you think the reason that people fall back is because they don't have the support? you think it's the support in the groups that makes the difference? There are several reasons. One is, one is, the, one is exactly that. That they that they that they uh, that they they sort of let go. I've seen many people who've had you know a year or two of sobriety and then decided they were okay, so they didn't know to, need to go to AA anymore. So the research shows that things like going to a couple meetings a week, one long term. Again, another five year study I, I cite in the book showed that people who um, uh, went to say two meetings or three meetings a week and did that consistently. Uh, after five years later, we had about a 75% chance of staying sober, which is pretty good. Um, those who, um, who only had, a, you know, went to a minimum number of meetings, say 25 or 50 in the first year and then sort of stopped going, uh, they had maybe like a 20% chance of being sober. So, you know, there's, there's a choice someone has to decide at the beginning, um, what, you know, how do they want to plan their recovery? Uh, do they want to commit to something like a couple of meetings a week uh, consistently and have a 75% chance of staying sober? Or do they want to go to AA for a little while and quit and have maybe a 20% chance of staying sober? So, so yeah, there's, so there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of evidence. But again, the support is, is absolutely key, isn't it? The support is a main, don't you think it's one of the major factors? Support, yeah, support and, and identity. Uh, we talked about being an saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Um, support is really key. But uh, being able to identify with, with 
with a 12-step fellowship. By the way, it can be AA, it could be NA, it could be Women for Sobriety, it could be Smart Recovery, it could be any fellowship that supports abstinence. But saying, I'm, you know, I'm a member of Women for Sobriety, for example, is a statement that, you know, you acknowledge uh, that you have this drinking problem and you're pursuing abstinence. So, interesting, one study, that, again, another one in the book, uh, compared people who uh, said, uh, identified themselves as alcoholics uh, versus people who identified themselves as recovering alcoholics, so the issue of identity. And the people who identified themselves as uh, recovering alcoholics uh, over two years had a much better outcome than the people who just said, I'm an alcoholic. Interesting, yeah. All right, so, we're gonna actually, you know, identifying yourself and, and, and not being ashamed to say even 15 years later that, uh, you know, I'm John and I'm al- alcoholic, uh, you, you know, really is a positive thing. All right. It's not so stigmatizing. Right. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk some more to Dr. Joseph Nowinski, author of If You Work It, It Works, The Science Behind 12-Step Recovery. And what's the website for the book? Well, my personal website is josephnowinski.com. Okay, Joseph Nowinski. N-O-W-I-N-S-K-I dot com. All right, we'll be right back with Joseph Nowinski right after the break, right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. 
Welcome back to Patricia Raskin Positive Living. My guest is Dr. Joseph Nowinski, PhD, and his new book is If You Work It, It Works, The Science Behind 12-Step Recovery. Dr. Nowinski is the premier source for those seeking validation that the 12 steps actually work. It's a wonderful affirmation for people seeking a 12-step recovery program or who already are a member of one. Dr. Nowinski is a clinical psychologist who is taught at the University of California, San Francisco, and the University of Connecticut, and has served as supervising psychologist at the University of Connecticut Health Center. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about this whole concept of moderation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, where are we with that? Where's moderation? Then where's addiction? I mean, it's controversial. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about because some of the criticism that's, that's directed at AA or any other, uh, any other fellowship that supports abstinence, uh, is the argument that well, I should be able to moderate. I can really control. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to quit. So there's a lot of controversy out there. And indeed, there are lots of people who have a problem with alcohol or drugs, especially prescription drugs these days, um, who feel that they ought to be able to moderate. I don't want to have to quit. I don't want to have to give it up. I should be able to moderate it. And so there is some research on that. And to begin with, though, we used to think, mental health professionals used to think in in terms of uh, two categories. Either you were an alcoholic or an addict or you weren't. And our diagnostic system sort of reinforced that. You know, there were criteria that you'd have to meet. And if a person met that criteria, they were an uh, addict or an alcoholic. And if they weren't, if they didn't, then they weren't. So it led to this kind of thinking that either I'm, uh, you know, it's alcoholics and the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that promoted the idea that unless, if you, unless you were really severe, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, didn't have to look at abstinence as a goal. You could moderate. Uh, we now think differently about it. Recently, even in fact, last year, the American Psychiatric Association revised its, its, its way of thinking in terms of a spectrum. And so it, the spectrum goes all the way from low-risk drinking on one hand to what's called a mild problem to a moderate problem to a severe problem, okay? And I think that's a much more enlightened and useful way of thinking about uh, drinking and abstinence and moderation because not everybody who has a drinking problem necessarily needs to consider abstinence first and foremost as their goal. It all depends on where they are in that spectrum. So one research study looked at what's called moderation management, okay, and compared uh, people who were members of MM or moderation of management uh, to people who were members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they found some interesting results. One is that, indeed, the members of 85% of the members in moderation management had a mild problem with drinking or drugs. So as defined by very mild consequences, okay? Another 15% of those people, though, had severe consequences like blackouts, uh, convulsions, craving drinks in the morning when they woke up, pretty severe negative effects, uh, yet, yet uh, those 15% uh, would consider abstinence as a goal. They wanted to stick to moderation as their goal. So the people in MM tend to have a milder problem. They tend to be younger, tend to be like under 40, uh, tend to be fully full-time employed. Uh, they also tend to have family and friends who are supportive of moderation. So if you're one of those people, 
who has a mild problem and, uh, you know, you're pretty functional. You've got a full-time job. You've got family support. Uh, maybe you've got an education and a good job. Then you might consider moderation. In fact, I wrote a book called Almost Alcoholic that has strategies for those people who want to moderate their drinking, who want to move back towards low-risk drinking. Yeah. Uh, but if you're beyond that, if you're you know, way on the other end of the spectrum, then moderation doesn't always make sense because uh, so one study took... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to know, I want to hear about this, but I want to know how do you know if moderation's working? It's working if you don't go back into yeah, kind of binge drinking? Yeah, it works. It, not only binge drinking, but it works or it doesn't work. You know, it's, 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 it's a matter of, of, you know, well, frankly, being honest with yourself. Sometimes it helps to get some therapy or counseling and have a therapist help you assess where you're at. It all depends on what kind of consequences you might be having to your health. You know, is it affecting your health? You know, as your doctor told you, you're a pre-diabetic, you're having hypertension. Uh, is it affecting you psychologically? Are you feeling sort of mildly, mildly depressed? Uh, is it affecting you physically? Do you feel like you have a loss of stamina? Is it affecting your relationships? Is it affecting your work performance? You know, you need to take a look at these things and, and see, you know, how much is it affecting you? And if it's really mild, then by all means, I say, you know, you know, try some of the moderation uh, strategies. But you also have to be honest about it. You have to see, you know, it's not only binge drinking, but, you know, are you continuing to have these consequences? Are, are you still having trouble in your relationships, in your family relationships? Or is your job performance not what it used to be? You know, you just don't have as much energy as you, as you think you should have. Uh, so is it continuing to, to affect you? And if it is, then I think you just need to consider, you know, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should stop for a year and see how I feel about it then. Yeah, very interesting. All right, we have a few minutes left, so let's talk about the neurological facts, yeah. such as how recovery will improve brain function. Right, right. Right, sure. And that's, that's important because there's been a stereotype for a long time about uh, about people who are alcoholics and that, you know, if you were an alcoholic, uh, you were brain dead, you know, that, you know, you're, you're, you, know you, you had sort of uh, destroyed your brain. Uh, and there are, of course, a couple of really serious consequences like Corsicore syndrome, but those are very, very, very rare. Uh, what research shows is about 50% of people who start going to AA have some mild cognitive deficits. In other words, drinking has affected them in terms of their memory, their ability to do complex tasks, and so forth. So not severely, but they have some mild cognitive deficits. They often don't connect the dots. They also often don't attribute that to their drinking. However, what's found, what they found is that after two years of abstinence, those people don't test any differently from normal people. In other words, after, after being sober for two years, those cognitive deficits tend to disappear. And that's great news because it means that uh, because you have a, you know, a mild, moderate drinking problem or even a severe one, uh, and maybe it has affected your cognitive functioning, it's possible to recover that, but not if you keep drinking. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So because that's impairing your cognitive functioning, Right. It's continuing to impair your cognitive functioning. Right. Okay. When you, um, when you work with families, which I assume that you do, how do you help the other person, the person who might be going to Al-Anon, address that for us? The, the, 
the person who's affected by this behavior, the spouse, yeah. the children, the parents. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, you know, I always tell them, you know, to, that they need to focus on themselves because very often they've been damaged by addiction as well, you know. And so uh, very often they, the family or spouses or even children become overly focused on the, on the person with the drinking problem. And first of all, they need to sort of like, you know, take a look at their priorities and start taking care of themselves a little bit. Uh, in terms of dealing with someone who has a drinking problem, uh, I always advocate don't get into an argument about being an alcoholic. Uh, help them connect the dots. Talk about the fact that, you know, uh, they didn't get a raise this year because their job performance wasn't so good and they've been drinking more. Uh, they fall asleep on the couch, you know, a lot more often than they did a year or so ago. Uh, connect the dots for them. And so, you know, hopefully get them to think about whether they want to do something about that drinking. Yeah, and, and sometimes... Well, I have a friend who, if you bring it up to her, she gets so angry. Sure. And, about and, drinking? And yeah, and the behavior yeah. is, is bizarre. I mean, it, and, and, you know, we have found the hidden bottles. I went to visit her recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Because there are people who just, they just, let's face it, they just don't want to give it up, you know. And um, admit. They won't even admit they have a problem. And if you tell them they do, they're very angry. And then you find the, the empty bottle uh-huh. somewhere. That's right. You know, a woman named Carolyn Knapp wrote a good book. She died, unfortunately, a couple of days, years ago, but uh, called uh, Drinking a Love Story, in which she talks about that, about how hard it was for her to come to terms with, with her drinking problem. She, she eventually did, and she eventually did turn to a fellowship to help quit. But, but you have to want to do that, don't you think? And, sure. and I think the other issue is then the person enabling, because, you know, the husband just... I mean, he, he just takes care of her, and he can't bring it up to yeah. her because I think he's afraid of her well, anger. Well, that's it. A lot of people, you know, sometimes we, we're inclined to blame enablers like they, they want this person to be an alcoholic, but they don't. They often just get trapped into it. They get, they get trapped into, you know, if you don't go out and get me liquor, then I'm going to drive and I might have an accident or get a DUI, you know, things like that. So, or covering up for, you know, missing work and things like that. So, yeah, enablers are in a tough, tough spot. And I think that, that when I counsel them, I help them slowly move toward taking care of themselves a little bit. All right. Tell us again, Joseph, how people can get your book. And again, let's tell the audience. The book is If You Work, It Works. If You, if you work, work, It, it works. works, right. The Science Behind 12-Step Recovery. It's pretty widely available. You can go on Amazon and get it. You can go barnesandnoble.com and get it. You can get it in bricks-and-mortar bookstores like Barnes & Noble. It's pretty widely available, and it's in paperback. Which is really great. And any closing thoughts for us? Anything you'd like to close with? What would be your message for our listeners today? Well, my, for listeners, is that uh, if you are thinking about, you know, a drinking problem and you're thinking about maybe considering going to AA or NA and you've heard a lot of negative things about it, you know, read this. Take a look at what the science really shows and then make a decision for yourself. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being on the program. A pleasure. Yeah, really appreciate it. All right, and again, the book is If You Work It... It Works by Dr. Joseph Nowinski. And uh, that's on Amazon? Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Joe, for being on the program. You're welcome. Take care. Have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay.
All right, folks. So we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to three very amazing people about Women's History Month and the Holocaust and remembering women who survived the Holocaust and, uh, and what that was like in the first transport as well, the Jewish transport to Auschwitz which was made up entirely of women. So you're listening to Patricia Rask and Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.